student with them as well, where we try to talk about horror and horror-related films in a positive, constructive manner. Uh, we are continuing our farewell, uh, Candyman series with uh, Candyman Farewell to the, Fre- to the Flesh. And with me, as always, is uh, my co-host, Nathaniel Johnson. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, the, this is going to be, uh, these are, we were just talking about this before, that I want to kind of put the disclaimer up there that uh, we've had some scheduling issues. So we, we watched these movies a week ago. Right. And it's very late. Um, <laughs> uh, we're doing a late night recording double, right. we're, and we're double, we're double, uh, double headering, yes. uh, double, a, pulling a double header. See, we're already off to a great start. Um, yeah. This is uh, so. I mean, I, I forgot to I forgot to introduce myself. So you know, we're, we're doing that's true. doing awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, so he's Samuel Numine. Yes, I am. So I want to I want to put that disclaimer <laughs> that if these episodes like completely suck. Um, right. That's why uh, we're. <laughs> so, uh, and but you know, I, I we really tried hard for Candyman because it's a great film, mm-hmm. and it's 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 almost uh, divine providence that uh, we're kind of not hitting the mark on these two probably uh because yeah. they they don't either no no um but we'll, we'll get into that and we'll, try to, we'll we're gonna try to compartmentalize uh, the, but ch- yeah. there's a good chance that these two conversations will ultimately dovetail into each other um right. but uh but yeah we're gonna try and keep that uh keep it keep it uh you know keep it our, positive our, keep it well, destructive constructive and, and positive but also keep it compartmentalized uh we want we want to talk about farewell of the flesh here Yes. Um, and we'll try our best to stick with that. So I've so, got the vitals this week. Yeah, let's just jump right in. Okay, so Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, uh, directed by a uh, very accomplished director, Bill Condon, um, made the, uh, uh, actually directed one of the Twilight movies. Uh, the two of them. He directed the two-part finale, which yeah. were the, the watchable ones, <laughs> in um, my opinion. The yeah. more watchable ones. I, I actually, I feel like um, the third movie, is actually the one that's the most complete, but that's another conversation. Um, but he also directed the very exceptional Gods and Monsters, um, yes. starring um, Brendan Fraser and um, Sir, Ian Sir Ian McKellen. Yes. Um, it was written by uh, Rand Ravitch and Mark Kruger, both of whom are also um, have been quite successful as uh, screenwriters. Both ended up doing on um, television, um, doing some uh, doing some really uh, high profile work. Um, Rand Ravitch is. Uh, uh, best known for doing the CV series Life. He's done a couple of other films and shows as well. Uh, and uh, Mark Kruger uh, wrote uh, Teen Wolf, uh, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. Damien. Oh, no, he was producer on those. But writer, he was... Um, I think he wrote a couple episodes of those as well. But Yeah, he did. Um, but yeah, he was... Uh, he's also worked... He also wrote, um, most recently, the We Have Always Lived in the Castle um shirley jackson um adaptation that i didn't see but it's supposed right. to be quite good um but uh for stars here we've got tony todd once again reprising his role as the candy man um we've got kelly rowan as annie mm-hmm. torrent we've got caroline barclay as caroline sullivan i don't know why she's so high up on this she's in my- yeah this this imdb list is a little out of order it's a little weird yeah okay yeah. Uh, veronica cartwright the great mm-hmm. veronica cartwright is like you. Yeah, if you're not you're not looking at IMDb on the page uh, as we are, um, if you're listening to this, but Veronica Cartwright is like way down the IMDb list, which is she really weird, is she's major character she, outside of Tony Todd. She's the biggest star in the film, I absolutely, mean, yeah, and probably more, maybe even more than Tony Todd in you know actual not genre film. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah, this IMDb is really weird. I should have done more uh, more work on this, um, but yeah, so I've got to figure out uh, who played Professor Parcell. Oh, we got Timothy Carhart as Paul McKeever. Um, he's a relatively major character. Um, somehow, um, yeah, like Thug Number Two is listed above the uh, Michael Michael Culkin played uh, Philip Purcell. Oh yes, there he is. Uh, okay, um, yeah. So that's basically the major stars in that one. Um, originally, apparently, uh, from what I've read, I'm done my research on the film. Um, originally, um, uh, the writer and director of the first movie. Uh, Fuck. Um, Bernard Rose. Bernard Rose, thank you. Uh, again, uh, we're off to a great start here. Um, Bernard Rose uh, originally had approached uh, them about doing a sequel, had originally mm-hmm. been involved. Uh, apparently, it, his major idea had been to pull in 
the Jack Clive the Ripper story. Yeah, Jack the Ripper and the Clive Barker short story Midnight Meat Train. Right. Into his sequel. Which that would have been a very interesting idea, but it wouldn't really be a Candyman sequel at that point. Um, so no. I, I could get why the producer didn't go for it, aside from yeah. the fact the producer apparently wasn't really a fan of the first one until he got the box office receipts. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, so Marauder Rose was out, Bill Condon mm-hmm. was in. Um, and what we have is a, uh, the only thing apparently that actually made it from Bernard Rose's draft mm-hmm. was the beginning of this film with Professor Parcell. Right. Returning, um, which is how the film is, begins. Uh, yeah. I've never, like, like I said last week, I never saw two or three before. So these yeah. are a completely new experience. And I know last week I was decrying the fact that, you know, Professor Snooty McNose like didn't get his and <laughs> to start the movie with him getting his was yeah was pretty fun for me yeah it's actually and in my I think in my opinion it's probably the best sequences in the film to be yeah. honest uh, I, I think that it starts out strong and then sort of meanders uh, yeah it kind of starts decaying as the movie goes on right. um, yeah we have the idea of Professor Parcell has gone on if what I thought was interesting watching this because I had seen them before but it's been a very long time mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that Purcell was way more unlikable in the beginning of this film than he actually is. I actually found found him to be a fairly uh, interesting figure mm-hmm. in this film at the beginning, to the point where I'm almost like I almost would have rather watched the movie of Purcell. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, up until the it. up until the point where he like turns on the guy and says, well, "You're just as crazy as your father was," yeah. you know, like he he's he's more likable than he yeah, turned. Yeah. His, his tertiary uh, relationship to infamy and to a, a best-selling book, but, you know, who in his line of work wouldn't, you know? Well, that's what I remember, because that's the thing is we were talking about the other, you know, that uh, in the first one they established, Purcell had already written a book on the candy. But, written, uh, I think, a page. Yeah. Yeah. But I, um, I remember thinking, uh, going before watching this movie again, that there was a whole uh, aspect of, like, he, like, totally profited on right. like, the deaths of his people and stuff. And I was like, you know, maybe this, maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's the book he had written prior. Uh, well, I, I think from what little we have of his reading, um, it does, it, he does kind of mention yeah. it, but I think, yeah, I think most of it's just based on his previous work. And he's like, you know, everybody's talking about Candyman, you know, like, let me call a publisher and expand this into a best-selling novel. In real life, uh, you know, if you were to, if you were if you were an academic who wrote a book on something that suddenly became popularized by like an actual event, right? It would be uh, any publisher that had already worked for the book is going to put out a yeah. copy of it and ask you to write a new another chapter or two, right? You know, a new yeah, absolutely, yeah. So and whoever mean, at the publishing house came up with the idea of the you know mirror cover, uh, cover. yeah, <laughs> good work. Yeah. imaginary publishing company yeah. Yeah. right but the idea is that he's doing a reading in um, New Orleans which is a, 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 a little bit of a retcon he's saying that this is where Daniel Robitaille was from um, which is the first film outright stated it was Korean yeah and we'll get into that but go yeah. on but uh, but he basically is doing his little presentation um, it's a really great bit of exposition tells us everything we need to know right up the top um, about where we are what, what we're talking about he makes a, a again smart uh, smart marketing decision of having a, a fake Candyman uh, burst out of a screen to attack that. him. He didn't. No, I, I. First of all, I I think it's like one of the things they decided they needed every Candyman film was a fake Candyman somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at least this one got it out of the way. But like I don't know, like the first time I watched it, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cheap jump scare. Mm-hmm. And the second time I watched it, I'm like, well, now you have to buy a new screen every stop you do on your tour. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause that's not the store screen if they're, if you're rocking it like that. That's, yeah, you know. no. But yeah, he probably just has a ton of them. Yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a good, it's a good bit of, uh, it's a good bit of publicity if you're going to do it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You're going to do a little book thing and you want to do that, you know, especially because it's like the whole setup is someone says, like, you know, call him, you know, do the, do the Candyman five times right. in the mirror. And he acts like he's like nervous about it. And then, yeah. like you know, and then he's like, "See, nothing happened." Oh no, Candyman right. got me! And then he's he like, plays uh, it very well. Like, yeah. uh, you know, he's definitely a showman. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we get 
um, go from there. He runs into the character of um, Ethan. Right. Ethan Toronto. Uh, yep. Ethan Toronto shows up, yells at him uh, publicly. And in, again, like I said, I remember him th- thinking, remembering him as being this really unsympathetic character, Professor Purcell, but he actually first seems kind of concerned about him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He gives a role of like, I'm sorry I couldn't help your father. Right. Um, which apparently the backstory is Ethan's father, Ethan and Caroline, mm-hmm. Ethan and um, Annie's father, Annie, our main character. Right. Had apparently had the idea to like summon Candyman to destroy him. Right. What the hell he was thinking. <sighs> I don't know. Um, we're going to get to that too. I don't know what Candyman yeah. knows what he's doing. Right. In right. Movie. Um, I don't know what anybody's doing in this movie. Yeah. Um, and, um, but anyway, Purcell uh, uh, try to, tries to kind of talk the kid down, is unsuccessful. He goes to a bar, has a drink. Ethan right. attacks him in the bar. Yeah. The bartender wrecks his own bar to get the guy out. Yeah, he smashes his <laughs> to a window. Yeah. Um, I was, I'm, I'm like, wow, that's uh, you're getting fired tonight, buddy, unless you own that bar. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe not. I mean, they're all insured and shit, but yeah, I mean, like he, uh, but yeah, I'm, I was kind of surprised it wasn't like a bouncer or somebody, to right? Take that, but um, but yeah, rather, rather, uh, rather bodily hauls Ethan out, right. and then Purcell goes to the bathroom, has an awkward encounter with a young black man, um, and then, um, uh, with uh, gets got, hmm, and then he gets got, yeah, Candyman gets it, yeah. And Ethan is then blamed for the murder. Um, again, I'm not sure why. Um, not really, because he was kicked out of the bar. Right. Not seen re-entering, so I don't know how the hell he got into the bathroom to kill Purcell. But they think he did. And um, then it can- felt. I think. I think they already had his eyes, their eyes on him because um, his father's death was suspicious, and she, he was acting strange as well. Right. That's what it seemed like to me. Yeah. And we'll get into that. Obviously, there's yeah. a, there's some there's some really great uh, police work going on in this movie. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, and then for some reason, like Ethan spends a bafflingly long amount of time at the police station. Uh, right, spends the rest of the movie there, not in lockup. He confesses no. to the crimes. Uh, he confesses <laughs> to the crime. Yeah, every scene he's in is in the interrogation room at the police station. I'm like, he would have left alone and unhandcuffed. And yeah, and he was like, he would coming in, going out. You know. He would have either they either had to have let him go or process him and put him in lockup to wait mm-hmm. for trial. Right. Um, but for some reason, like, and we're talking like in the third the beginning of the third act, he's still in the interrogation room, and yeah. I'm like, what the hell is he doing there? Um, and it was obviously like, well, we have that set. Um, but uh, and again, I don't want to. I don't want actually think. I actually I don't want us to to get too into like making fun of this movie because I actually think it's actually not that bad. I think that no, that's this. It's it's. It's serviceable. Um, it's just going in from watching the first one to watching this one. There's just yeah such a difference in, in you know I, I, frankly quality. Um, there's you know it's I just went from watching this one you know one one week to watching this and three the next week and it's like culture shock almost. It's yeah yeah and uh, and the thing is is that in the i was thinking about this because i guess it was a week ago we were supposed to record this right and i had some ideas then and now they're coming back to me but i didn't write them down so they're they're gonna maybe they'll come back to me in a sudden bout of inspiration um but the thesis statement i think i originally wanted to pitch with this about this movie in the in the Mm -hmm. positive in the positive manner was that actually this movie does what most good sequels should do at least Mm -hmm. on paper you know, we're like, we're expanding the mythology. We're right. not taking anything away from it. Um, you know, we're not erasing anything. Um, there is a, uh, and there's an honest effort in this, right. movie, I think, to make something good. Like there's definitely yeah. a clear desire to make a worthy sequel. Right. A film. Um, I think the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. It doesn't really work that well. Right. Could, um, it is probably just the curse of the sequel. You know? Yeah, I feel like there's a little too much retconning to to kind of muddy up um, what Candyman Steel is. But um, yes, I mean you know well, they tried we... to do it somewhere different, and they tried to expand some things, and and also you know give you more information in the background, which is always appreciated. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's funny though that because um, we were talking about last week about the um, sort of mimetic nature of this mm. film, the almost metafictional process uh, uh, right. of everybody misremembers the movie. Um, and I think people misremember this movie too, was thinking like, this is the movie where he's going after the people who killed him in life. Right. That's not happening here either. In fact, that movie no. doesn't exist. No, not unless it's the new one, which I don't think it is from what I've, what little I I've heard. I think so either. Well, I, I accidentally ran into one minor spoiler with that movie right. that got me got a little bit excited because I think it validated mm. something I said last week. So right. in last episode. So I'm like, oh, nice. Um, I, I'm, I'm smart sometimes, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, victory lap, take a victory lap. Yeah, right. Um, well, I have to watch the movie first to make sure that that's true. But I read the spoiler that kind of said something that I was like, oh, hey, I think this movie is catching on to something I had caught on to in the movie, in the first movie. So I was like, hey, um, but um, I'm not going to say what that is. I don't want yeah, to- please don't, because I, I tried to watch it this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's still funny to me that this movie is still not that movie. Candyman right. 3 is not that movie. Yeah. Um, and why it isn't. I don't know. But like I said, I don't know. What the hell Candyman is doing in this movie? Um, well, it's they start to turn him. I guess in a way, um, this could this could parallel in a lot of ways, like you know, Hellraiser two and Hellraiser three, in that you know they try to take Pinhead and do do new things with him and make him more of a character than a uh, than just you know a faceless bad guy, and it's like and I and. Both versions, both Candyman and Hellraiser, I think, in a lot of ways, weakens the character just by taking the mystique out of it. Mm. Um, you know, because in Hellraiser two, you know, he gets shown like that he was a person once. And then Hellraiser three, they do the whole good Elliot, evil Elliot with Pinhead. Right. Mm. Um, and it's like, well, that's not what Pinhead was about. In the first one, Pinhead's. No. And the first one and Pinhead in the second one are almost like Candyman in the first one and Candyman in the second one, where they're like, first one, they're beyond pretty much all thirds. Yeah. Um, and in this second one, a lot like, you know, about bloodlines and, and settling uh, unfinished business or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is he's doing. Yeah. That's right. But, but yeah, I mean, to, to that point, yeah. I mean, like we were talking about last week that. Well, not last week, but last episode. Um, the idea of um, I had pitched the idea that, like, you know, Candyman that Candyman became Daniel Robitaille. Daniel Robitaille did not become Candyman. Right. Um, this movie outright says no. Daniel Robitaille became Candyman, which is right. absolutely Daniel Robitaille. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I think the only thing we differed on was was you know I I, I think that Daniel Robitaille became more the Daniel Robitaille to become Candyman and you, you know, not the, sure. The thing that was already there globbing onto it. Sure. Either way though, this movie yeah. is, is, is specific in that. Right. Yeah. This is too Daniel. specific. I think, I think so. I agree. Um, he's, and I agree with you about losing some of the mystique. Uh, one of the things mm-hmm. I had noticed particularly about watching this movie is I'm like, he's way too clean. Yeah. Candyman. I mean, he's, he's much more, he seems less like a like a mythical figure and more like Tony Todd in a nice suit. Yeah, and I'm like um, part of that I think is because they lost the, the it's just not a costume because they lost the jacket for the first one, which was way cooler. Yeah, uh, and and just gave him more of an otherworldly air than you know this is just you know an opera. I, I know the other one was supposed to be an opera jacket as well, but this is like you know almost a modern opera jacket, you know, kind of costume. Yeah, yeah, he's. So and he doesn't he doesn't even come across as particularly ghost like he's just no he's just there yeah and um, it just seems like Tony Todd in a suit um, right but Tony and- Todd's nailing it <laughs> yeah they're still nailing it because I mean you know even when he's killing people there's this weird mix of you know like uh, anger bloodlust regular lust and sadness in his eyes like you know just yeah. He's bringing a lot to the role, even if right. I'm not sure he knows what exactly he's supposed to be doing either. Right. Um, because again, that's the problem. So, I mean, like what it looks like on paper, at least what the, the evil plan is. The first movie we, we talked about, Candyman's evil plan was maintain story. Right. You know, maintain my existence through the perpetuation of my story. This movie is like he's trying to kill his descendants. Right. 
but he wants he one of them to live <laughs> you know but he doesn't he wants to still kill her at the end um it's uh so i'm like i don't know what i mean he i, I could buy i mean we get like when we get to when we'll talk more about veronica cartwright here because it's a great performance um but uh veronica cartwright uh you know outright when the big the big reveal of annie's figured out the the mystery of the ghost story which is right. something i want to talk about as well because it's something i didn't um i mentioned last uh in last episode as well about how Candyman's not a ghost story right um, and now all of a sudden a it is story. yeah yeah uh, this and that, and I had made that reference. I was like, if it, if the first movie was a ghost story, then Helen would be looking for the MacGuffin to solve the to solve the mystery of the ghost story. Yeah, that I was sort of directly referring to was like the second movie. Right, right. Literally, like I gotta go find the magic mirror so I can. Yeah, the, done with the, Candyman's ghost story. Skipping ahead to the third act, just for yeah. a second, like that 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 whole search for the magic mirror, which. Okay, first of all, there's no reason for that to have ever existed. But um, it, if it wasn't a movie, that would make no sense. But it also like it plays a lot like a, like the end of like a Resident Evil game or something like that, where you're like searching for the key item well, and it's, you're it's very in this house that's falling apart. It's very you know? supernatural, right? Yeah, very, like the TV show Supernatural, which are yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know that you know in, in a supernatural episode, it would be you know the in right. the, if if Candyman were a supernatural episode. They would salt and burn his bones within the first 10 minutes. And then right. be like, why is Candyman still out here? And right. then it would be, oh, we got to find the mirror. And, and Candyman 2. And Candyman 1, like, I, yeah. you know, never really, even, it's it's so well crafted that it, we have never even, like, take the time to think about, like, you know, how Sam and Dean would deal with this well, it would, until it, after the fact. It would be a Bloody Mary, you know, situation. I think it was, I think it would have been similar to the Tulpa episode they did. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the local legend right. that kept, that kept um, retconning itself. Right. But they couldn't they could never figure out how to beat it. Uh because yeah. the kids kept changing the story. So they figured if we change the story, right. give it a weakness, we can kill it. Um, which probably would have been their solution to Candyman, I think. So yeah, speaking of ret- retcons, how did you feel about the retconning of this one? Which which retconning especially are you talking about? Oh uh, well I guess, I guess the retcon of him actually being the slave himself and not ever being a well, then, you know, being afraid, then being killed. Like in the first one, he's he's born to former slaves. He's yes. already freed. Um, I, I didn't really care for the retconning of that because it's like, I don't know, it made it made the the tragedy of the story of the first one even greater that you know he was you know brought down from that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. um... And also the fact that they just kind of played it as, oh, no, this is how it is. It's not like, oh, this is another story that we've heard of Candyman, you know? Well, it's funny because uh, uh, even though, like I said, we talked about in the first Candyman movie about the concept of how everybody remembers these movies differently. Right. What was funny was that when they, I was reading about this movie, uh, Virginia Madsen apparently was not happy mm-hmm. with the alteration of Danny Robitaille being a slave. Right in the second movie, and I was like, well, "Wait a minute! Didn't they say he was a slave in the first movie?" And then I realized that it would happen to me. I was another person. Yeah. Had, like I was like, well, "Wait a minute!" I thought well, you had mentioned in the last episode that he was a slave, and I'm like, "No, it's not another yeah, one." No, but now I get where I was coming from because right. they now, changed like, it in the, in the sequel. It is, um, but they changed it in the second act. Like even when you know Professor McSnooty is talking at the beginning, he's telling the same story from the first one. So it's like, mm-hmm. I, I. I think they tried to play it as part of the mystery, part of the Scooby-Doo aspect of the the script. And I'm like, that just kind of doesn't work for me. Yeah, I mean, it could retroactively work in terms of the first movie. Because, again, when we talked about the idea of Candyman's Mm -hmm. story being naturally susceptible to retconning. Right. um, But then we actually get to there and we see the records. Right. Like and I said, in the first the records, movie, we see everything else. It's like it's like okay, come on. You know, in the first movie we didn't really get a flashback, or in right. the sequel right. we get a flashback. Yeah. Um, at the very end, which is right. again very strange, mm. uh, very strange choice to have the flashback in the very like last ten minutes. Well, they won. I, they showed flashes, flashes, of it, but, but the full, I, the full. I think story. I think having the full flashback, saving it for the end, was probably smarter than putting it elsewhere. Yeah. Um, because it is. You know, I have to accept that Daniel Robitaille in this is not Daniel Robitaille in the first. Uh, and mm-hmm. Candyman in this is not Candyman in the first. So if you put the flashback at the end of this film, it really does, you know, it's the culmination of, you know, this Candyman character's journey through this film yeah. in a way. Sure. But I think it's effective where it's placed, but I'm like, you know, it's an I effective- just wasn't sure I liked it. 
and it's an effective flashback. We're jumping around uh, yeah, still, but but yeah, the it's an effective flashback. I think it really shows the the um, it, it's it's not that it's graphic enough right. that we get the 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 horrors of what happened to him. Yeah. Um, whereas you know they this is, but it's not you know roots. You know, like they're not like you know full on showing right you know, twelve. Years, it's not twelve years a slave. You know, it's right. uh, it's it's still a still kind of a watered down and they get that it's not you know it doesn't need to be because as much as you know the physical aspect of what's happening to him is important to this film it's the you know the jeering and 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 the mocking of him that you know right yeah easily the most most upsetting thing in this entire film is the little kid saying candy candy man right And the woman laughing and, and saying, yes, yeah, Candyman. Yeah, not Kathy Bates yelling, you know, Candyman, Candyman. Yeah. Uh, no, Kathy Bates is a great way to describe it. Yeah, she looks very right. much like Kathy Bates. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I think that's obviously the, the hardest part of it. And of course, it's for love. You know, right. he's being punished for who he loved, not for not for anything else. Uh, which is again like, you know, which is again why the the uh specifics of whether or not he is a slave or not does come into play right um because it's an entirely different form of punishment right uh, you know if you were just a slave it, it there would be it, it would still be horrific but it it, it does, it's not the yeah. same type of horrific and it's not like it's not taking as much away from it because in the first and the beginning of this one you know they talk about how he was you know a freed a free black person from birth and his father was you know independently wealthy by making a machine that could make shoes in a industrial fashion yeah and so he could afford to raise him in high you know high society send him to all the best schools you know live in his life like you know he like unfortunately people still have to deal with today like you know it doesn't matter that he's black you know yeah and he finds out the hard way by you know falling in love with the wrong person, and oh, falling in love with the right person, the person well, wrong, right, wrong other, by their other, other people's right. Yeah. yeah, this yeah. is not allowed. Yeah, um, which still happens. Yeah, um, I got I got my I still remember. Um, there was a barber I used to go to back in in Portland, mm-hmm. Maine, um, and normally I'm I I'm usually I'm, I'm I pretty much let this type of thing roll off my back when it comes to like really old men. Right. I'm like, look, it's not you should know better, but you grew yeah. up in a society that that taught you something. And I know that's difficult to get over. Right. Um, but you know, he was talking about it was like after the Super Bowl, and he was like, there was a, a Pepsi commercial or something that showed a biracial couple, and he was talking shooting the shit oh, with another customer. Right. And like, you can't show that on television. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, you're 85. <laughs> right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend I didn't hear that because you were yeah. 85. But I'm like, I'm not going to put up, I'm not, wasn't going to be like, oh, all right, I got to educate this fucking 85 year old barber. I'm like, no, right. I'm just going to, I'm going to pretend I didn't do it. Yeah. Um, I just want to get my hair cut and leave. Right. Um, he was the cheapest barber in town, too. <laughs> so sorry, Blackfoot, but right. um, I'm an asshole. But, um, but yeah, I, I, well, I mean, much like, you know, I don't want to put us in the same boat as, you know, Black Americans, but, but, you know, everybody has to deal with that kind of stuff. Uh, one way or the other and we all have to choose when to fight back and when not to right um it's just the sad reality of it yeah i mean if he if if there were a black man in the barber shop it probably would have been a different situation right and actually probably wouldn't have been said because oh yeah no he's the kind of guy who looks around before he makes that joke yeah yeah that's what i mean yeah that's it They, they they know what they're they're doing and they're looking around he looks around the barber shop and sees you know three white guys and himself he's gonna be like okay it's okay for me to make the statement um and yeah i could have been like that's ignorant you're a terrible person but it it wouldn't probably wouldn't have been worth it no it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have anything, anything for either of you no in fact it just would have left me with not a haircut right um, i did um i did start paying attention to when the other barber was on though Ah. Uh, so I don't think I ever encountered that barber again. I started Good. Being, Fuck that guy. Yeah, he's probably dead by now. So oh no, he's hey. I'm sure he's still there cutting hair. But I uh but no I'm American I, dream. Yeah, but I was like, I'm not gonna I don't want to get my hair cut by this guy because he makes me uncomfortable now. Right. Um and I'm not com- I'm already uncomfortable going to get my hair cut anyway. I hate getting my hair cut. Yeah, but talk to you and touch you at the same time. It's not a good scene. Yeah, yeah. 
I've gotten a little bit better with the local well, now, guy mm-hmm. I go to here in St. Louis. I've gotten a little bit better, at least the small talk aspect. Right. But I'm still kind of like, you're touching me. And I don't like Yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, um. Oh, uh, anyways, let's go. Anyway, we know about haircuts. Um, let's go to let's let's talk about Act Two, where it becomes you know, uh, Candyman, uh, framing a, a white woman again for murder. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, start, and, and, starts with more or less. Well, he doesn't really frame Ethan. Ethan allows himself to be framed because that's where we were originally. No, I meant Act Two, where where it's where it's the it's. Um, oh yeah, well no, I mean we talk about the whole uh, Ethan. Yeah police thing again yeah yeah once again we're doing that and it also it's funny because it also get uh, this movie i thought uh, what i thought to myself when i was watching it it's once again proven that the the killing of the psychiatrist in the first Candyman is the worst decision that movie could have made right um because here we are again yeah. um doing the same fucking thing and i'm like and it still makes it doesn't make any more sense now than it did in the first one um no. because once again it asks that question of how the hell are the police justifying this information right. um but yeah, at this point, like, so Ethan confesses to the murders, uh, apparently to protect his sister, which turns out to be a big boneheaded move because it just makes his sister start poking holes. Right. Um, if he if he protested innocence, he, she probably would never have summoned Candyman. We wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, because there would be no way they could have really stuck him with it because he wasn't in the bar. You right. know, like, okay, Purcell, you know, you clearly didn't kill Purcell. We no one saw you come back in there. There'd be uh, other than you having an encounter with him earlier. Right. Um, which just makes you, you got, makes you get into, into a fight. It's suspicious, but there's nothing to, to pin the blame on you. Um, without a material witness or hand or fingerprints or anything like that, there's no evidence to point to you. But right. That says, oh, yeah, it was totally me. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so Annie comes Annie comes into play, our, our main character, our protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the uh, quite lovely uh, 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 Kelly Rowland. Mm-hmm. Um, she's and, and she gives a great. I think she gives a good performance in this movie. Um, I, I know. I, I think I know you you have you have some thoughts about the cast of uh, Candyman Three. Right, but um, uh, uh, but I think Kelly Rowan does a pretty good job, um, with this character. I yeah, think, performance. Um, uh, in some uh, very very lovely um, early '90s fashions, like oh, definitely, like it, the or mid. You kids don't remember the the layers, of right? The 1990s. It was like you know you got a she has a a coat, a vest, a blouse, <laughs> uh, a skirt, another skirt. Right, uh, you know, like, and she's in New Orleans. Yeah, I'm like, you got to roasting no. in that thing. Um, I was there once in November, and it was still, you know, too hot for my northern blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the the layers. Um, what a wonderful, 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 wonderful time to be alive. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, and I've noticed actually the uh, '90s fashions are coming back, which is really kind of strange to me. But I'm like, yeah. they didn't look that great then. But Kelly no. Rowan. Works managed to rock it. All right, she's looking good in this movie. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, she starts poking around. But then we have the idea that cops do start, as you had noted, start thinking Annie might be responsible for the murders, not right. her brother, and that her brother is confessing to protect her. Yeah. Um, which doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Well, until her husband gets killed, or a boyfriend, or whatever he is. Yeah, her husband. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, yeah, he gets killed. She kept her last name. I know that, but yeah. you know. Yeah, maybe they weren't married. I can't remember if she wears a wedding ring or not. They I, yeah, it doesn't matter, I suppose. Uh, other than we know they've been together a while because um, her mom is is making the grandchildren sniping. Mm-hmm. When am I going to get a grandbaby? Um, but uh, we are established that Annie, is, Annie and Ethan are from a rather well-to-do old money Mm-hmm. Um, although something clearly happened, they don't. I think they don't think specifically what it did. There was some sort of economic ruin occurred, right? Because they had to get rid of their palatial mansion, right? Um, which is apparently the mansion where Candyman grew up, or in the slave quarters. Yeah, yeah. He was a slave, right? Now, um, well, they retconned only a little bit to where he was like a slave, like you know. He was born a slave, but he, he was freed shortly thereafter. I think a couple of years. Yeah. He was, you know, so he wasn't really 
he was an infant, you know, and this, they had to finally free his parents. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have, have, have the idea that Annie is is sort of wanted by the police. Um, right. And then, um, as I noted uh, before, uh, suddenly, like one hour into the damn movie, for some reason, Ethan's still at the police station. Right. Um, we established, by the way, that the the lead the lead investigator um, uh, is obviously a great cop. Uh, he is rather specifically trying, wanting desperately to prove mm-hmm. that the Tarants are responsible because he just really hates them from like childhood. Right. Like he hates rich kids because he grew up poor, and um, uh, it's um. And bafflingly so. Um, and we'll see more of that in Candyman 3. We'll have more dick cops coming. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird thing that they added to the series was that cops is always dicks. Cops are dicks. Um, <laughs> and uh, Candyman 2 in particular is a movie that uh, this was something I actually did think of, I, I, about, uh, I think, last week, which is the idea of um, Candyman 2 in particular. This is, uh, I think, what we've been ramping up to mm-hmm. in terms of the police stuff is I've said this many times. I don't know if I've ever said it on the show or not, but Bringing, bringing cops into your movie is a bad idea. Most of the time. Most of the time. Unless yeah. your movie is about that. Well, that's why, you know, stuff like, you know, Friday the 13th put, you know, the kids in a, a cabin in the woods. You know, it's, it's right. well, the, get point the cops is, out of the way. You can't get to the cops. You want to get to the right. cops. Like you want police to show up in those yeah. movies because they take care of things. Because once you invoke it's not just cops. It's any authority figure with a uniform. I right. Think. Because they break your story so fast. Um, yeah, because you're left with two options. Either they, you know, kill whatever it is, or right. they have to, you know, spend the entire second act uh, thinking that, you know, your lead character is the killer. Right. And, which is really, why, and that yeah. completely throws your, throws your narrative to a crawl uh, because right. you have, because the police can just stop your narrative. Right. They can just arrest you. So you have yeah. to justify why they're not. And then, right. um, but also, uh, you know, and I was like, you're, you're, an authority figure can just shoot them. Right. And get away with it. They can just arrest them. Your narrative is over. Um, and so if you don't do that, you have to be like, well, either they're, they're, then the cops are clearly deeply stupid. Right. So therefore, they can't really be believable antagonists. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I've, I, there are very few films, I think, that it, that work it unless the point is like, you know, like we're going to probably, we're going to talk about exorcist three. Right. Uh, next month, you know, that's a movie that's like, this is about police work. Yeah. It has to be, you know, like the yeah. part of the main thrust. Otherwise it becomes weird. Yeah. And you have, you know, the thing in this one where, you know, it comes down to, you know, only cop believes her and, you know, that, that cop lets her go. And, you know, it's, which makes, which shouldn't solve the problem. I mean, no, like, you know, and that's the thing is that so so it's kind of like about- Officer Albrecht and the crow. Uh, it's, it's yeah. you know, you got this one cop that's like, OK, I believe you. But, you know, you need to get out of here before the real cops come. And it's like, yeah. what are you, what are you there's doing, a reason man? there's a reason why Commissioner Gordon um, refuses to know who Batman really. Is. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's because he's like, I, if I knew who you actually were, I'd have to bring a task force to your house to arrest you. Right. Um, and they spend so much time on the cops with this one where, you know. Uh, I think one of the main failings of this film is that it's set in New Orleans, which is, you know, one of the cities with the most culture and most character in, in probably the world. Yeah. And aside from a couple of, you know, VOs of the, the disc, disc jockey uh, talking on the radio and uh, a few, you know, a little bit of, you know, um, Fat Tuesday at the, in the final act, like it doesn't feel very New Orleans. No. It's shot in New Orleans. Uh, a lot of it is, at least yeah. the exteriors. Um, but it doesn't even have much flavor. And I feel like because they spent so much time with the cops, they couldn't actually yeah. find the time to properly put Candyman in this new context and get a feel for why it's important. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I do like what they what they do actually offer for the mm-hmm. whole uh, Mardi Gras stuff. Fat Tuesday is there's some really great elements of and this is one of the things i think this film does well it's so that Candyman did is the first movie did as well mm-hmm. uh which is the division of right. of class and race right. um, but it's not 
terribly well explored here like it wasn't the first i don't really no i mean it's more kind of like like oh look look there there's mardi gras there's there's new orleans it's implied yeah yeah Um, you know i mean early on one of the first things we see is her driving from like one area to another and it's a night and day change like she sees people celebrating mardi gras and then takes a right onto the street and it's tenement housing yeah and then she goes to you know her teaching job at some I don't know what kind of school it is, but um, they clearly imply it's troubled teens or yeah. troubled kids. Yeah. And then, you know, they have the little subplot with uh, the the preacher's son going missing and being obsessed with Candyman, which is a really cool thing that they barely do. used. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, that should have been your actual. That would have been your movie. You know, <laughs> that should have been your main yeah. thrust is right. Um, you know, that's where she knows about Candyman from. Right. That's what it's used as like set dressings to connect pieces of, yeah. of the narrative of the white narrative. Unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And that's what I mean is this is narrative ultimately is, is like her lineage. Right. Is comes from him. She's there. To, he's, she's his descendant. Right. And I'm like, what, what the hell is this kid even doing here? It doesn't bring anything to the narrative. And I'm like, right. yeah, but that's, that should have been your movie. Right. Um, not police, not no. brother, not brother in jail. It should have been. In fact, I actually got one thing I thought about. Oh, we're again, we're jumping mm-hmm. around. One thing I thought about also that movie that the lineage movie would have worked better if she were like seventeen. Yeah, um, you know, if she were just like home from, you know, dad died, or like a college right. student. She's she dad died. She's pulling a Hamlet, you know, or even take died. away the part where she grew up in that house. Yeah, like maybe like her mom, you know. They lost the house because I don't know, you know, Black Friday, you know, from the eighties happened, or yeah. you know, the money that the the slave owners back in the day, you know, bequeathed to them finally ran out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And her mom's ashamed of it and just never tells her about this, you know, house that they their yeah. ancestral home. Yeah. What's um, I mean is I think that if you had had the plot of her even being like she's pulling a hamlet, like dad's been right. rather mysteriously comes home to deal with that maybe you can even keep the brother's a suspect but he's the younger mm-hmm. brother uh and he's drawn and angry and she's right. and that that's the thing is then it becomes a, a an internalized ghost story right her being like you know my family's being haunted by this this secret that they right. don't want to talk about and that makes it all and again like you, you could bring the mirror into it as being yeah like, and even the duality him. Even yeah. the duality of, you know, the public is obsessed with Candyman and, and the legend and telling each other in a scary scale, but we're watching a family who, like, actively hides the same thing. Right. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a much it's a much better movie, and it also make, it keeps the police out of it. Right. You know, uh, she's just, it's just a, go, a quiet ghost story where relatives and friends are getting bumped off by Candyman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She needs to stop it before everybody's dead. Right. Um. You know, and then you could even be like, you know, her, you know, she's a student teacher. You could still keep the inner city children aspect. Um, You know, there's just a stronger movie, but you you just have to leave the police out of it. Yeah. You know, um, that urban aspect of uh, people are dead and we we need somebody to finger on this for this crime. Um, It just slows you down because, as we said, once again, they make the, the really poor decision of Ethan is in the interrogation room. Dick cop comes in, starts smacking him around, which in, right. the, in the interrogation room on video, yeah. um, what a way to make this guy walk. Well, it was still the nineties. They were still pretty good at covering that shit up. Yeah. But I mean, well, and that's, well, there's one of the things that bothers me again is, is why you don't do police is because uh, police, yeah. it, once you introduce police into films, you, your audience starts asking questions about reality and uh, yeah. you're, and it's not even a suspension of disbelief thing. It's it's a challenge, a direct challenge to the suspension of disbelief. Right. As soon it's as harder to lampshade things when you you actually have the authorities involved. Right. Well, that's what I mean is right now, you and I are already talking about like how stupid it is that Ethan's still at the police station. Because there's right. no way that would happen. Um, we've got, um, you know, we've got the, the surveillance video. We're already asking the question of like, what the hell was this? Uh, this kid, this guy uh, confesses to crimes that there's really no evidence that he actually performed, right. and they're going to make that stick somehow. But I'm like, and the, but yet his first visitor at that point is his sister, not yeah. a, not a public defender, right? Like, or I mean, the family lawyer? I mean, they yeah. still have enough right. money for there's, yeah. There's got to be a lawyer. His his um, mom lives in a penthouse that looks like you know, in defiance of what the hallway looks like outside, it looks like you know a southern mansion inside. Yeah, and, uh, and complete with a, a huge staircase and every you know fake windows. Yeah, <laughs> and they said he's a lost. Yeah, right. 
Um, and I'm like, yeah, like, like, there's no way. I mean, she's a teacher, so she, you know they've all had a lot of schooling. Yeah, but there's no way his sister goes into that interrogation room without a lawyer present. No, no way. Um, you know, it's it, and that's what I mean is you start asking questions like that when you bring authority in right. the film. You just start being like, well, wow, the authorities are either are really adapt, really inept, or the screenwriter didn't understand it. Right. Um, and it's probably a little bit of both. Where they, the screener is like, well, if I have them be too, because if the if the cops are actually doing what they would do in real life, narrative over. Yeah. Um, right. You know, uh, there is no. Although there's something to be said about the cops being, you know, eager to pin it on some guy, even though you know they yeah. themselves know that you know it's not gonna. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense because they want to clear life, a case. What does it mean in real life? His his confession would have, especially as soon as there's video of him smacking him around. Right. Uh, there, the, the a public defender would be like, they coerced the confession out of him. Yeah. You know, the end. You know, a lawyer would just be like, he's going to walk because the the jury's going to believe that this guy's been put through a lot, and then this cop right. has it out for him. Therefore, like they're going to be like, well, Ethan confessed because he was scared not to. Right. Uh, which is the entire point of of the Miranda rights and everything like that is supposed to protect you from having a confession beaten out of you. Right. Um. But yes, but anyway, this cop decides to get beat the shit out of him and then call Candyman because once again, it's sort of like in, it's sort of like similar to the Child's Play series mm-hmm. um, where everybody who comes across Chucky has to like bang his head into shit. <laughs> right. um, you know, like everybody yeah. has to have a reason that all of a sudden everybody in a Candyman movie starts saying Candyman in a mirror for no reason. Right. Um, he decides to say Candyman five times in the mirror to fuck with this kid. And then Candyman shows up and guts him. Well, Ethan cowers in the corner. It's all on surveillance camera, just like right. the psychiatrist in the first movie, which leads the main detective to go find Annie. Right. Uh, somehow knowing exactly where she's going to be, shows up and says, I believe you that you were innocent of this crime and that your brother is dead. By the way, he's dead. Right. Um, and the cops are coming for the other entrance. And the right cops now. are coming because your mother just hit the security alarm right. after Candyman killed her. Um, and I'm like, well, that's great. The other detective believes her. Right. Um, explain that to a jury. Right. Um, explain that to the co- police commissioner. And really, in, in, in regards to the plot, it doesn't mean anything. That it means nothing. Kind of, it's just, oh, that's how you got out of this place. It's like, well, you could have yeah. done that on your own. Or also the cops, because the cops feel like they know she's there. Um, they act like they, well, they've they been know she's there. Her. Right. Yeah. So the cops wouldn't have wouldn't have let her get out the back way right I mean, that's yeah bonkerous yeah that's um, the other thing the detective the, the dick detective's been tailing her but then he decides to go back and beat up her brother um like it just makes it no sense is why anybody's where they're where they are no um for the entire second act um but then we get a cool you know set piece with the final act and that's i guess something <laughs> well my favorite part of the, of the third act is uh she finds the kid Mm-hmm. and like the the place starts flooding and she yells for the kid to go get help he and comes he gets back other kids. with other kids yeah i'm, <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like fucking great plan. This, is fu- this is our gang all of a sudden what the hell yeah i'm like are you kidding rascals? Me? like you, you couldn't have come back with your father right you know an adult um by the way great character actor uh playing um playing the kid's father um bill oh, yeah, he's been in everything yeah bill yeah. nunn uh, uh uh i think the movie i remember when i was a kid he was the the nice cop in sister act yeah um, um i think a lot of people would know him for the the toby mcguire spider-man movies he was uh june and james oh, that's right like he assistant was, yeah. too yeah he was um yeah he was robbie um oh fuck what's his name character's name uh, Stanley, so Robbie Robertson. Or Robbie something. Robertson, yeah, it is Robbie Robertson. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Robbie Robertson, uh, a long-term, uh, long-term Spider-Man character, the, right. the guy who worked at the Daily Bugle who loved Spider-Man. Right, yeah. right. Uh, but you're right. Yes, he was in the Sam Raimi films. He was uh, Robbie Robertson, great character actor. Very much so. Um, Doing some great work with only like you know two scenes. He's got yeah, he's got like five minutes of screen time, and he's really right. good. Um, he he gives a great performance. Um, I also I'd, I'd like to just point out, and I know this isn't a real person, you know, this reverend, but um, props to that guy for trusting his son and giving him his own space. Yeah, like he didn't know all the stuff that was in that room until he walked into that room because this thing, like, yeah, that's a level of trust that parents usually don't have for for a child, especially a, a troubled one, you know. Yeah, and for a Catholic priest, right. To be like, you know, my son's got to deal with his shit. Um, that's uh, 
uh, yeah, it's great. And he's he's very warm. He's probably the only character in the movie that's really warm towards Annie. Yeah, which is part of the reason I wish, you know, the movie had been more focused on him and his son right. than anything else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it should have been more about, you know, that's what I mean. Is there There's an interesting dichotomy there of talking about this well-to-do family. Maybe they have lost a little, but they're still basically right. a privileged family contrasted right. with poor, troubled youth, black youth. Yeah. You know, living in, in, a, yeah. in, in that great scene where Annie comes looking for the reverend and they, they tell her like, you know, no, we've Lord, had enough of your help. Around we've enough, yeah, we've had enough of your help. Yeah, um, it's a great moment of, um, you know, like, you know, everybody wants to help. We don't want you. Here. Right. Um, and whereas the first one balanced a lot of the different aspects really well, I feel like this film and the next film, like, just kind of have too many things going at once that kind of don't mix together as well. Well, the third That's one, I mean, the third well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that, but I mean, <laughs> this ends up being like the, the poor, basically goth. And right. <laughs> suddenly there's a crow movie at the end of this thing. But, um, but yeah, that's 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 next time. That's in a, that's in like a few minutes. We're going to talk yep. about that one in another episode. But um, but yeah, it's a great. It's there's a lot of potential in Candyman too that I think right. doesn't get utilized. Yeah, and, and if you're looking for a decent slasher movie with a little, you know, a little different flavor, you could do a lot worse than this. Um, this is a this is a perfectly serviceable course. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's it's not it's not great. Um, performances are strong. Right. Tony Todd. Good. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> got a great performance from Tony Todd. Yep. Um, uh, Veronica Cartwright's great in this too. Yes. Before we do sign off on this episode, I do want to do shut, call out Veronica Cartwright. Um, yeah. Has she, she ever done a bad role? I I can't remember. If she has. But yeah. she gives a lot to this performance. Um, right. In just a couple of scenes herself. She's not in it much, yeah. But no. when she's in it, she's memorable. Um, giving a, a great performance of a woman that clearly has got a lot of shit going on. Right. inside her head but she then deflects it by being kind of bitchy yeah on the outside well, she's also literally dying she's uh, literally dying yeah. yeah um i think i made the joke of uh, uh from the room you know i literally <laughs> right uh, don't a- worry about it yeah, don't worry about it i definitely have breast cancer oh hi candy man <laughs> um but yeah that's, the, um, that's gonna be candy man five it's candy gonna be five. tommy Wiseau. tommy Wiseau's candy man yeah oh, good lord <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, but Veronica Hartwig gives a great performance. Um, very waspy, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Know, she's she's, uh, she's always got a drink in her hand. Uh, you know, her her little you know wisdoms are are very much the cynical old like, right. white lady. Uh, yeah, even to the fact that she's you know, it seems like she's regularly like tests her alarm just to make sure that nobody can get in there. It's yeah, yeah. She calls weird. she call, then calls and yells at the security company. Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's but it's a great performance. It's uh, it's very um, she's she chews the scenery in just the right amount of way, right amount, of, yeah. right amount, um, and gives some great stuff. You know, the, the wonder her death scene is wonderful. You know, if, uh, you know, yelling. Uh, you know, I don't accept that. You know, like she, right. you know, she's the only one with an accent. Yeah, everybody, everybody, just yeah, in New Orleans, no one has an accent. Um, except for like her and the guy that runs the uh, the snow cone stand. <laughs> yeah. By the way, yeah. Before we before we end, I want to call it that scene because that's a good. What scene. What the hell is happening in that scene? She walks up and there's this guy. He's got like a snow cone stand. Right. And there's a woman dressed as like I don't know if it's Cleopatra. Cleopatra, I think. Uh, who's licking uh, a syrup off of right. his wrist? Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, Annie walks up. And says, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and he says, "Can I help you with something?" And she says, "Like, I would like a snow cone, please." Well, she and says the- a small snow cone. Which, first of all, if you're pumping a guy who works, you know, who runs a stand for information, buy the most expensive thing they have. Yeah, don't get a small. Come on, guys. But then the <laughs> but the Cleopatra lady then looks at her and just says, "Cherry," and starts right. laughing like that's the funniest thing in the world. I have no idea what's going on in that scene. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like if they would have done more work, you know building up new orleans and you know the debauchery of the, of the yeah. sometimes debauchery of the french quarter up a little bit it would have made more sense yeah also that he has like a whole like you know uh, voodoo you know history <laughs> museum in the back somehow yeah it's something that's like a david lynch movie's happening yeah i've i've been to new orleans we had our uh jen and i had our honeymoon there and mm-hmm. it, it was lovely lovely city mm-hmm. um i will say i'm not set for mardi gras because that like at a 
on a weekday during November, there's a lot of fucking people there. Um, well, but anyways, like, yelling, if you, I, yeah, I would just be like, I, I have a hard enough time just like on a Friday night here in St. Louis. I'm like, right. off my lawn. Yeah. Um, you know, but, so uh, imagine. if you have a, if you have a voodoo, that's, that's the front side of the store. Once you get them in there, you sell them snow cones. That's, that's my advice to the tour as a bureau with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we went through a few uh, voodoo shops and stuff there, which were cool, but yeah. he hides in the back. Yeah, the who don't. Um, but yeah, it's a but yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of baffling stuff going on in this movie too. Like, mm-hmm. I still can't figure out. Candyman like wants to kill all of his relatives, but we don't why he. But he but he wants that baby to be born at the same time. So. But he's gonna kill her with a hook. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah. It's I'm like, what's your, what do you get out of this Candyman? Um, yeah. And uh, there's another thing that we're gonna talk about a little bit about decay. You know, um, he's um, his dialogue in this movie is far more like word salady, like yeah. just like someone just like put together stuff that sounded sounded poetic, right? But they make no sense. He's basically talking gibberish most of his scenes. Yeah, the poetry of the character, um, for whatever reason, these writers uh, or Bill Condon didn't quite get it. I don't. Well, yeah, I mean, in the first one, a lot of his stuff was taken directly from the story. Um, so obviously Clive Barker knows how to write that kind of shit. Mm. Um, and I don't know how much, like he's listed as, you know, a writer on this, but it might just be because of character spy. Yeah. He's credited as that in the, in the credits of the movie is based on characters. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think he had any involvement with it. Um, I think this was at the, by the point where I think, um, Barker was having, I think his second or his third, like I'm not dealing with Hollywood anymore. Yeah, um, you know issues. Yeah, because I think after the a few times, right after the failure of Lord of Illusions, I think he just kind of wrote it off. You know, at that point. Yeah. Well, I, was Lord of Illusions out yet? Uh, <sighs> I think it was ninety five, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, and this was Flash is ninety five. Right. Um, well, yeah. But that Lord of Illusions was like ninety four, ninety five. Yes, you're right. Lord of Illusions was okay. ninety five. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he probably wouldn't have been involved with this because he was probably involved with that. Right. Um. But yeah, Lord of Illusions was sort of the end of his love affair with Hollywood. He kind of walks away after that. Um, right. Which is another film I want to do eventually, because that's a fun one. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird movie. Uh, oh, I, I think we're going to have a differing opinion on Clyde Barker's cinematic efforts, uh, mm. but um, I, uh, I do enjoy them for what they are. Um, right. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, so this movie had like nothing to do with him. Um, no. I, I don't think. I mean, we've just been credit, uh, credit for creating characters and um but yeah it's uh it's a it's a it's, it's a movie a, it's a movie it's, <laughs> it's not a bad one no um no. Uh, i think it's just not a classic and we'll i think that... the, we'll get the Candyman three and i think that's a pretty bad movie let's, right. let's be honest um but um but this one's not bad um no. it has it has some ideas it wants to play with those ideas are pretty good ones right it may not pan out um the way i think they hoped it would um no. there are great are very strong performances the character work is actually pretty solid um annie is a is a perfectly serviceable uh protagonist um veronica cartwright is her mother um uh, mm-hmm. gives a great performance um, i think all the performances are pretty good at this i mean yeah yeah i mean some of the minor characters don't have a lot to do um, right I can't even fault the the dickhead cop because I mean that's what he's has to be playing. He plays it's just it a one little, rule. yeah, yeah. It, it plays it a little stereotypically, but I mean that's what's written on the page. Yeah, <laughs> can't and really fault the actor. Well, let's be honest. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, like, can't whereas Candy, the original Candyman, kind of wanted to, to transcend genre. I think a little bit. Right. This movie is firmly entrenched. Yes, yeah, in, in genre convention, and that's going to lead to certain stereotypes. And, and stereotypes aren't bad. No, um, cliches. Well, aren't I mean. Bad. That the capsule cliche in the bad way, but you know, but what I mean is, like, you know, in general, you know, uh, people talk about stereotypes and cliches as if they're automatically like right, you could possibly do. And I'm like, actually, they're usually there for a reason, yeah, that's they wouldn't exist if there wasn't a purpose for them. Even Dick, even Dick Cop is supposed to is is more driving more sympathy towards Annie, at least he's supposed to be, yeah. Um, and so I mean, the character is doing what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. may not have a lot of uh, a lot of depth but 
it works for the most part. I mean, the film would definitely have been right. better without police involvement. But um, uh, you should have just stopped at the first half. That it's like he lacks a lot of depth, and that's like that. That's those. That's this movie in a whole, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's, there's it lacks a lot of depth, but it's it works for the most part. Yeah, there's a desire for depth that right. uh, I don't think they quite do. So, do you have any last uh, thoughts about Candyman Two before we sign off and start doing three? Good lord! No, um, I think we covered it all. I mean, yeah. And if right. you're watching the Candyman series, um, keep your expectations realistic. That's all I'd say. <laughs> if you've gotten this far, it's too late. Um, yeah. You've already seen it, but I wish I would have had more realistic expectations for a mid '90s slasher film than what I had after seeing the first one. I got. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a step down. Yeah. Okay, then uh, we remind you, as always, to keep it positive, keep it constructive. Uh, love yourself, love your fellow horror fans. Uh, dark world out there. Be nice to each other, um, and uh, and be nice to your horror films because right. uh, even when they're not that great, they're great, um, or at least they're lovable. Um, so with that, we say uh, thank you very much. Good night and. Oh, Dancing at the devil, dancing at the devil. Oh.